0: in his, in, in, I don't know if it was his church, but a church he knew about. And this church had this dynamic men's ministry, the men's Bible studies, men's retreats. They did all kinds of stuff together and they were growing and reaching people. And, and as a growing church, it happens usually. They're, they came to a point where the church had to make some decisions and they were making some transitions. And, and through all of that, this guy named Taylor, who was like the leader of the men's ministry, he got his feelings hurt. And I don't know what the story was. It happens though. And so Taylor didn't show up for church one Sunday after kind of this, whatever event was that happened. And he didn't show up the next Sunday. And some of the guys were talking and they were like, okay, what's, you know, what's going on? I haven't seen Taylor. I know his feelings got hurt. And and as guys do, they said, you know, he'll he'll be fine. He just needs some cooling off time. A couple more weeks went by. Taylor wasn't coming and they had been texting him. They started emailing him. He wasn't responding. He's just like, like, like off the reservation. Doesn't want any contact with anybody. And uh, these guys who were, they're his friends. They decided, they're like, we gotta do something. We can't just like let him disconnect from church. And we know his feelings got hurt, but we gotta we got figure out how to deal with it. So they got together and here's what they decided to do. They said, we're gonna um, all get together and we're just gonna go camp out on his front yard until he comes out and talks to us. He won't text us, he won't return our phone calls. So we'll go. Well, as these guys started talking about it, this is not an exaggeration, 150 men in the church all get on board. And they're all like, I'm in. So they set up this like rotation. So you can like go home. There were people in Taylor's yard 24 hours a day for about a week. At one point they had televisions they brought out and they had some friends that live kind of nearby that they ran extension cords so they had electricity. And they're just sitting on lawn chairs watching TV in Taylor's yard. They counted one afternoon, there were 20 different grills and smokers out on the yard cooking food because there's that many guys hanging out. They had signs that said, we love you, Taylor, come out, Taylor, and he will not budge. In fact, he calls the cops on them multiple times. The cops come, they said about twice a day and the cops would roll up and he wasn't gonna press charges, but he was trying to like bluff these guys out of his yard. And as the cops would come, they'd go ring the doorbell because he called and when Taylor would open the door, all the guys would start cheering. Yeah, Taylor! And like. six days the cops came out multiple times during the day on the sixth day these guys are all camped out in his yard six days on the sixth day cops come they ring the doorbell and the door opens everybody starts cheering and Taylor finally breaks and, and he just starts weeping and he goes out and he hugs these guys and they kind of they make, they make amends and, and things went back to being healthy that's that's some good friends I don't know if I have 150 people in my life that like me that much. You know I mean? That's a lot. Of, that's awesome. I and mean, we've been talking about values. What we value as a church through this series, Divergent. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about family and we talked about how we value family. And we're not just talking, if you're joining us for the first time, we're not just talking about our church, we're talking about why family matters to you. And then we talked about excellence, and so uh, some people came in and and took away the sign and put up trophies that symbolize excellence. Uh, Last week, we talked about the generations, and we talked about mentoring. Tonight, we're talking about being outward focused, and they took the sign away, and somebody brought some binoculars. So the value is not friendship, but but it's going to come to that. We value as a church being outward focused. Here's what that means. We love God, and we love people. And we love people in such a way that we don't just love each other that's here. We we love people who aren't here. In fact, we've all gathered together to be a church, because the church isn't a building, the church is the people. We've gathered together to be a church that loves people. Here's what that looks like in a a church. Marshall, can you hear? I think the the DVD thing needs to be muted, it's coming back. A church's outward focus looks like this, and it, it could be the same for us. On a Wednesday night, for example, let's say that it is ice and snow and sleet outside, and it's bad. It's one of those nights that's you know, dangerous to be on the road. You get here. And if you're the outward-focused person, you're an outward-focused church, you've got people that are standing at the door downstairs. You've got people that may even be outside uh, at a church helping elderly people, but maybe on Wednesday, it's greeting at the door. Open the door, welcome people. Man, we're glad you're here so that when a person who is nervous about coming for the very first time and they don't know what to expect, they come in, there's somebody smiling. Now, an inward-focused church, an inward-focused youth ministry, on those cold days, run up the stairs to get into the warmth as quickly as they can. Because we're not really worried about the people out there. We're not worried about them having a good experience. We're worried about ourselves because we're inward focused. An outward focused small group, if you come to small groups or even in here, an outward focused small group, while people are seeing their friends and talking to them and hanging out, an an outward focused person has their eyes looking towards the door. They're looking for the person who came in and, and doesn't know anybody. Let me tell you this. It does not take a rocket scientist to find somebody whose parents dropped them off and they walked in this room for the very first time. Because they're the person that's kind of standing by the back. They're looking around. They don't know what to expect. They they probably didn't want to come all by themselves for the first time. Mom and dad said, hey, yeah, you're going to go. The inward-focused people, I mean, they're the ones, that are in a circle and they're talking, they're laughing. They don't even realize that this other person exists. But an outward-focused church an outward-focused youth ministry that we're trying to become more of. While talking to my friends goes, hey, I don't know that person. Here's what they do. You've had this experience, right? You see somebody, and you've talked to them before, maybe even three or four times, but you don't remember their name, right? And you're you're now past the point in the relationship where you can come up and go, hey, I'm Brett. Because they're going to go, yeah, I know, we've talked like five times. But the outward focused person says, I I am willing to go introduce myself for the fifth time and look like an idiot and be embarrassed because that would be better than that person not feeling loved because it's not about me and it's not about my friends. It's about being outwardly focused. That's what that's what that looks like. Several years ago, I don't know now, maybe it's been three or four we heard some rumors, and I don't know if they, were, if they were true or not, but we had heard some rumors that at, on Wednesday night that there were some students that had brought drugs on the campus and were selling drugs in the bathroom. And uh, so when that happened, we heard the rumor and we, we said, okay, well, we probably need to do some things just to address that. And at that point is when we started bringing, uh, we have police officers that come up and they hang out on campus when you guys are here not to catch a drug dealer and arrest them, but simply if somebody came in with drugs with the intent to sell, we hoped that when they saw the police officer, they'd go, I'm gonna go ahead and leave that in my car. That that was the hopes. And we live in a crazy world. It doesn't hurt when you guys are up here to have somebody there. Because if a bad guy comes in, I mean, I've got my knife, but I don't think I'm stopping him. You know, I mean, you know, I'm gonna be like throwing sixth graders at him as a diversion and, you know, trying to get the back. And so we had that. Now I'm telling the story to a friend of mine who's in a youth ministry similar to ours. And they had just brought a police officer onto their campus. And here's the thing. You now, this is what's good. We proved to be a little bit more outward focused than their church. When they brought the policemen onto their campus for their Wednesday night event, they had some parents that started asking questions. They said, why do you have a police officer here? And he said, well, we've got some kids that come on a Wednesday night that um, may be doing some things that are illegal. And, you know, we just want to make it the safest environment as they can. And here's what these parents did. They were church parents. Now, they were inward-focused church parents. They took their kids and said, you're not going on Wednesday night anymore. And here was the quote they told the youth minister, because we don't want our kids hanging around those kids. Now, hear me when I say this. I wish every drug dealer and every drug user in Georgetown and Liberty Hill and Taylor and Gerald, even Austin, would be here on a Wednesday night. I prefer they not do drugs while they're here prefer they not sell them to the rest of you, but I would love for them to be here because I want them to hear how much Jesus loves them. I mean, that's I'd love for them to be here. And if they come in and they're, they don't understand how uh, church culture works and they come in, they're like, "That's kind of weirded out. You know, I, I didn't know Ed Sheeran was gonna be here singing songs tonight. You know, I didn't know. You know and, and they're like, what? You know, I'm okay with that. I, I want them to be here, even if they're the quote unquote bad kids because we're outward focused. That's why, guys, we're gonna beg you in a couple of weeks, February 15th, to come on Sunday and spend two hours to go out into our community to serve. We call it Collide Impact because we wanna be about the people who aren't here, not just the people who are here. And that's what I love. Here, here's one of the coolest things that's happening right now. I don't know if it's going to be totally finalized, but we've talked with the city as a church as we become outward focused. Red Poppy Festival's coming up in April. We've asked the we asked the city, hey, what can we do to serve the city? As a church, we want to be a church who doesn't just come and promote ourselves and doesn't come say, hey, look, we want to come. City, you tell us what your biggest needs are and we'll do them. And so here's what the city said. We need people to come and pick up trash. And so we've said as a church, you know what? Then we'll be there because we're not here for us. We're here for the city. One of the other cool things they're gonna have us do is they asked us to bring our shuttles and our vans to the Red Poppy Festival to drive people to and from their cars so they don't have to walk, you know, the the nine miles from where you have to park. And so, and we just say, that's what you need. That's what we're gonna do because it's not about us. It's about the city. That's why we give away hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to ministries and to people who who need Jesus, who need to be loved, who need basic needs. That's why we do that. Is it? church in san diego several years ago some of y'all might have heard this story we were actually looking for a spot that ended up being our oceanside spot and as we were as we were there in uh, interviewing a bunch of different churches i met this pastor at this church and they were in, they, they weren't in san diego they were north of san diego but land like in california is super expensive i mean it costs you know way more than it does in texas people sell houses in california and come by with the money they made two and three houses in texas it's just it's ridiculous this church has, this, has their property. And out back behind the church, they've got this huge field. I mean, ginormous, big enough that you could play softball on it. And they had some guys in the community that had a softball team. And they said, they came to the church and they said, hey, would you be willing to let us practice on your, softball, on your field out back? And the pastor said, yeah, absolutely. And the pastor's the one telling us this story. And he said, so we had some guys come and uh, just from the, the community and they were, they were practicing softball. And the pastor then changed the story. And he goes, but then he goes, I came into work one day and I went out back. They'd been there the night before, and there were a bunch of beer bottles all gathered around, like where these guys had been practicing. And he said, nah, "We got rid of those beer bottles." And I told those guys, "You're not welcome back here anymore." And I'm, I'm like, oh, "Okay." And, and the first thing came to my mind is, "Well, why am I gonna? Why would I ever bring a mission team here? You're not, you're not about the people that we would be reaching." I mean, how awesome. And not that alcohol, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Alcohol is not inherently bad, but, but the, those guys probably have a different lifestyle than the typical church person in the church. But what a great opportunity to say, hey guys, we love you and we're about you. And you know what? I'd appreciate it if you throw your beer bottles away, but use our field. That would be a great thing. But instead, we don't want anything to do with you because if you're not like us, if you don't look like us, if you don't believe just like we believe, we're not gonna focus on you. That's inward focused. Now, I think say I'm trying to use this. I don't even know if this thing works. The church exists for people who are far from God. That could be kind of our bottom line. That could be what I send you home with and say, hey, just think through that. The church, us, not the building, us. We don't exist for us. We exist for people who are far from God. But, but tonight I want you to think about something deeper. I want you to think about this. The church exists for your friends who are far from God. If we say the church exists for people, we all nod our heads and we go, yeah, yeah, I get that. The church, everybody exists for people. That's great. It sounds great. But all of a sudden, if we personalize it, no, the church exists for your friends who are far from God. That's why we're here. Everything changes. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at a a couple of verses here. I love this story. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. We don't know who these four guys are. We don't know who their friends are. The scripture k- picks up their story right here, but we're gonna use a little, bit of a, a little bit of holy imagination. We do know Jesus has showed up in Capernaum, and we know that when Jesus shows up, there's like this buzz around town. I mean, people have heard about Jesus already. They, they've heard that he teaches. They've heard that he's healed. In fact, look at, go back a chapter. Go back to Mark chapter one. Just right before this, look at what we find out. I'm gonna, I'll read it pretty quick. Look in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. It's like a church and was teaching. And they were astonished astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so word is starting to get around that this guy, Jesus, when he teaches, he's like the best communicator around. He takes these Old Testament passages of scripture they've heard a thousand times and they're they're kind of dry. And when he he preaches them, he brings out points that they never thought of before. And, and, And all of a sudden they're like, man, that makes sense. And people are saying, you know what, when Jesus talks, man, I feel convicted of sin in my life. But even though I feel convicted of sin, I'm kind of like okay with it because he still makes me feel like I'm I'm walking towards freedom. And, And people are going, man, this guy is an incredible communicator. And then look what else. Verse 23, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed, unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. I mean, stories are starting to get around. Could you imagine like if on YouTube yesterday, a video went viral and it was a youth ministry like this one, but not this one. And there was, there was a guy and he was speaking and somebody's recording it. And, and in the middle of his message, some kid stands up. Now, I, I don't know what he sounded like, but I'm sure, you know, in, in my mind, it's a demon. So he was like, you preach of Jesus, you know, whatever, and like, ah, you know, free you." And this guy <laughs> casts the demon out of him and the kid starts convulsing and shaking and falls down and a demon leaves and he stands up and he's normal again. And you just watched it on YouTube. And then you found out that that guy who was there in that youth ministry, he's gonna be at First United Methodist on Wednesday night speaking you're not coming here, I'm not coming here. Like, I mean, let's take some vans and let's go see what this is about. That's what's happened. This, is, this story has spread. People were amazed. Look at verse 28. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. We see in verse 29, right after that, he leaves the synagogue, Simon and Andrew. Um, they go into Simon's mother-in-law. She's with a fever. She's sick. Jesus walks over. She's been sick for a couple of days. Jesus grabs her by the hand and goes, get, get up, you're well. And her fever breaks and she's completely healed. And that story starts to spread. Then look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons all verse 33 and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him the whole everybody jesus is like miracle oprah he's like and you get a healing and you get a healing and you get a healing and you get and you in the back get a healing and, and and we roll then into our story in chapter two jesus has showed up in the city he's famous already People are starting to head towards the house where they've heard he's at, and there's four guys. And they've heard, and they're like, man, we gotta go here. They're not even, they're not, they don't even have tickets. It's free. You can go here. He's gonna, I guarantee you, he's gonna cast out a demon. Some dude's head's gonna spin around. We gotta go. And these four friends look down, and they've got a friend. He's laying, he's paralyzed. His name's Matt. You'll get that later. Um, He's he's laying there, and get it, Matt? He's on a mat. I don't know him. Um, these four guys are there. They've got their, their paralyzed friend. And they're thinking, you know, they, they, I mean, Jesus heals. And, and here's our friend. He's paralyzed. But, but I already see people. They're already headed that way. They're, we're not going to get there. But they make the decision. Grabbing into the mat. They all grab one. They, they take off. They No, the mat, literally the mat that he's laying on. Not, I'm not calling him mat anymore. It's okay now. I've repented. They grab the, the, the stretcher he's on. They get there to the house, and it's too late. The house is jam-packed full. The Bible says there's people all out. The front yard's full. The door's filled. And not only is people just not walking, you can't get in when you've got a guy on a stretcher. They wanted this friend to be able to see Jesus, but it isn't happening. And I'm sure they started thinking about excuses. You know, hey, we tried. You know, I mean, it just just wasn't meant to be. Sorry, you know, I I wish it could have been better. And then one of them, has this idea, and one of them goes, man, maybe, maybe if we just wait, if we wait it out, we just kind of camp out here, when Jesus leaves, when he walks out and he's headed out, we, we can grab his attention, and the guy goes, nah, that's not going to happen, that's not going to work, because you know when Jesus leaves, there's going to be a crowd all around him, we won't even be able to see him, because they're, they're just going to follow him wherever he goes, and look, there's like a, a blind guy over there and a lane, they're already like in front of us, if Jesus did get there, I mean, we're, we're like way back at the back of the line, and then, like, the guy that's probably, like, the dumb one of the group of friends goes, well, I got an idea. Let's take him up on the roof. And the paralyzed guy's like, no, bad idea, bad idea. Because if I fall, I can't catch myself. That's a terrible idea. Like, no, no. We will, we'll, we'll rig up a way to get you up on top of the roof, and then we'll dig a hole in the roof of some stranger's house And we'll lower you down to Jesus. And and apparently the other three guys are like, brilliant. (laughs) And I'm I'm thinking, if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'm like, no, no. Somehow or another, they get this guy who's paralyzed. I don't know how the roof in those days would have been flat, but they get him up on top of the roof. They start digging a hole. Now, here's, understand this. These guys have already inconvenienced themselves. They've missed out. They've missed out on an experience. They missed out on seeing Jesus being in the living room. I'll tell you this, one of the most brokenhearted things I've ever heard in my, as, as a minister here, several years ago when we had Disciple Now, I had a group of senior girls, they're all gone, long gone now. I overheard them talking about their home for Disciple Now, and here's what, here's what a senior girl said, and the other girls agreed, don't invite anybody, because if we invite anybody, we'll be split into two homes and we won't be able to be together. They cared more about the experience of disciple now. They cared more about what they thought Jesus had in store for them than they did about what Jesus had in store for the people out there. Not these guys. They missed out on the Jesus experience to be with their friends. They worked. They sweat. And they might've even bled to get this friend up onto the roof. And then they're digging through some stranger's roof when it occurs to one of them, we're gonna have to pay for this roof. We've been inconvenienced We've worked hard, and now it's going to even financially cost us. But we so badly want our friend to be in the presence of Jesus, it's worth it. And they dig through the roof, and they lower him down. And I don't know what Jesus thought. Jesus is in the middle of teaching, and then, like, dirt from the roof starts falling, and people are like, what in the-? And then, you know, sunlight, and here comes a dude, and Jesus is teaching, and he's like, hey, how you doing? You know, good to see you. Thanks for... And Jesus looks down and he says, son, he sees the faith of all of these people. And he says, your sins have been forgiven. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging. Let's look at the rest of the story. And then we'll come back. That was not an intended pun. Look at verse. (laughs) Now everybody's slowly. I didn't even mean that. Look at verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, the religious leaders, the religious leaders were sitting there questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things to your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. I said, I forgive your sins and you guys are upset. But isn't it, Jesus, says, isn't it much easier for somebody to say your sins are forgiven, right? I mean, let's, just, let's, let's say Juliet's blind. If I go, Juliet, your sins are forgiven. How are we proving that? We don't know. And so Jesus says, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say to a paralyzed guy, get up and walk? And the, the rhetorical answer is it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus says in verse 10 But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Four friends. Four friends who are willing to give up their Jesus experience. Four friends who are willing to sweat, question, fear, face rejection, face failure. Four friends said, I'll I'll, I'll put my own money on the table because I want my friend to be in the presence of Jesus. And when he gets in the presence of Jesus, his world literally changes. He walks for the very first time because of friends, four of them the church, the youth ministry, you exist for your friends who are far from God. That's why God gave you some of them. That you would be one of those that gets up and says, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm committed to you and because I love you, because I love you, I don't want you to die without at least having heard about Jesus. So I'm gonna give you two things to do. The first one is this. Commit to praying for one friend who doesn't know Jesus. If you're in leadership track, you should have five already. And you see this, you, you'll see this in application before. Probably, you'll see it again. This is something that we, we'll talk about on a regular basis. You got to have at least one person. Now, if you're not a believer, I and mean, you're just checking things out, I understand that this message, we're really, I'm really kind of talking to believers tonight. Next week, we'll be talking to everybody a little bit more. But if you're a believer, who's that one person? I'm not talking about somebody who's sick that you're praying for. I'm not talking about somebody who has a bad family life that you're praying for. Pray for those people for sure. But a person that you don't know, if they died tonight, that they would spend eternity with God. And you start praying for them. That God's spirit would use you and use the people around them to make himself known to them. I don't know if you watch Survivor. There's a guy, his name's Austin Cardi. He was on an episode of Survivor. Austin Cardi's a believer, and after a survivor, he was on a mission trip to Indonesia, and Indonesia is 99% Muslim. Um, Time Magazine actually called it the, uh, the crossroads of the Muslim faith. Austin Cardi is there on a mission trip where he can't really talk about Jesus a whole lot, but he's working with a mission group that's uh, there, and they've been working with these teenagers and children, and, and just not being very outright about Jesus, but just loving people. And, and one day on the mission trip, one night, Austin, Austin and another of the mission team are out on the beach. They've built this big bonfire and they've got a bunch of, of these teenagers and children around and they've lit the bonfire and they're having a blast on the beach and, and the mission team guy's got a guitar and he's playing and he started, he's playing praise songs, singing about Jesus. And these kids know some of the songs and they're singing because they've been a part of the mission even though they're not really in, they're not, they're not believers. They sing for about an hour and about an hour in, one of these kids, one of these, these Muslim kids, falls down to his knees near the bonfire. And Austin and the missionary, kind of like stop playing the guitar for a second, go over they're like checking on him. And as they're talking to him, they find out that as he's been singing, the spirit of God is beginning to convict him. And he said, I need Jesus. And he started praying to ask Jesus to come in his life. And then another kid hit his knees. And then another kid and another kid. And at the end of the night, seven of these teenagers had made, Decisions to follow Jesus without a preached word, just singing songs and being loved because the Spirit of God showed up and began to change their lives. Austin Cardi goes back, and as they're telling the story to the rest of the mission team, the mission team says, Well, you're not going to believe this, but know this. Those seven kids are the seven kids that we've been praying for for over a year that they come to find Jesus. Because that's what God does. You see, you're, never gonna, you're not going to save a friend. You can't get a friend to heaven. There's nothing you can do. It's Jesus' the spirit, the Holy Spirit, whose job is to woo people, to convict people. It's all about Jesus. But Jesus has given us the opportunity to be in the process, to do the inviting, to do the sharing, to do the praying. So what can you do? One person that you don't know is a believer and just start praying God do something in their life. And here's the second thing. Invite them next week. Invite them, be a bringer. Next week, we're gonna close out the series and we're gonna talk about the fifth value and it's the value of transformation. And what we're gonna talk about is this, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And that's something that that every one of your friends who doesn't know Jesus needs to hear, that God loves them and he's got a plan for their life that's better than what they have. So we're gonna talk about tonight, tomorrow night, next week, so bring them. I was a junior in high school sitting where you were sitting in a Wednesday night group listening to my youth minister talk. And we were coming up on an event. We are coming up on a Disciple Now because we even had those back in the day. And I decided to invite a friend named Anna. Friend at school, good friends, had a lot of classes together. Invited some other people as well, but I remember Anna because when we went, we did Disciple Now. Sunday night at Disciple Now, we're in the church service because we went until the end pastor had spoken I don't know what he talked about music had been sung and they had this time of invitation and as I'm standing there singing enjoying disciple now Anna grabs my arm and she goes will you go down front and pray with me I was like sure and I was like, even, I, was like I didn't even know what was going on and we get down front I go, what do you want, what, what do you want to pray about she goes I need Jesus in my life and I was 15 years old and it was the very first time I ever led somebody to Jesus I mean, the Holy Spirit did all the work. I said that, but he let me be a part of the process. I was 15, I'm gonna be 40 this year. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday and somebody breathed eternally for the very first time, a friend and God used me in that process. You exist this youth ministry exists, this church exists. Not for us just to have a good time. That's a byproduct. We're going to. We exist for the people who aren't here tonight. We exist for the people who are selling drugs, who are sleeping with their boyfriends and girlfriends, for the bad kids. And we exist for the good kids who don't know Jesus. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to... Do something that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. Colin's going to lead us in, in, in a worship song in a minute. He's just going to play quietly. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do two things. Some of you wrote down these applications one, to pray for a friend, two, to invite a friend. We take about two minutes, and when Colin thinks it's ready, he's just going to start singing. I'm going to ask you right now to pray for a friend. And if you love them, why not do part two? Why not get your phone? and text them right now and say, hey, I'm about to leave Cali. Would you come with me next week? I'd love for you to be my guest. Hear me when I say this. They might say no. In fact, statistics say the majority of them are gonna say no. But you know what's guaranteed? It's guaranteed that if you don't ask, they're gonna say no. But who knows? Maybe it's not next week. Maybe it's that text message. Maybe it's that prayer that you start committing to. Maybe it's three years down the road, four years down the road. Maybe they're in their 30s and something's happened in their life and the Spirit of God uses your friendship and their memory of you. And they go, you know what? I think I'm gonna go check out a church. And you'll never know. You'll never know until maybe if you're lucky and we get to heaven, I don't even know if it works this way. Maybe they walk up and you see them there and they go, hey, you don't know this, but... You started, you planted the very first seed that led to me being changed forever. And maybe it starts with a text message invite tonight on January 28th, you never know. So we're gonna think for a minute and then sing. Pray, maybe invite somebody right now. Here's the thing, I'm gonna say this, and stop talking. You might be a sixth grader, you might be a seventh grader. You might go, I can invite my friend, but I don't even know if they can get here. Maybe you need to do the heavy pressing on your parents to say, mom, dad, there were four guys and they spent some money and they spent some sweat to get their friends here. Mom, dad, I need you to inconvenience your time a little bit and spend some gas to get my friends here. Maybe that's what it takes. But whatever it takes, let's be outward focused. You pray, you text, and call in when you are ready. You lead us in one last song.